Hello and welcome to episode number 225 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today are Susie and Adam Felber. They are the children, two of them, of romance author Edith Layton, who passed away in 2009. We are going to talk about her path to publication, what it was like seeing their mom meet romance readers at conventions, and which villains and rock stars were the basis for some of her very famous Layton heroes. We also talk about whether gallstones look like opals, and we talk about their work to bring their mother's books into the digital age. Now, you might recognize some of the voices. Adam Felber is a regular on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And so he wouldn't feel too far away from his other radio home. Susie and I surprise him with a Not My Job style quiz at the end. So I hope you enjoy that. The podcast this month is being sponsored by Elizabeth Hoyt, the New York Times bestselling author of the Maiden Lane series. Duke of Pleasure, Hoyt's latest Maiden Lane adventure, features Alf, who is the new ghost of St. Giles and a female swashbuckling vigilante. It also features Hugh Fitzroy, the Duke of Kyle, a stern ex-soldier tasked with bringing down an evil group of aristocrats with Alf's help. This is a romance that has everything. Sword fighting, sexy times, pants feelings, danger, passion, intrigue, and a heroine that totally kicks ass. If you are new to the series, you can trust Smart Bitches reviewer Elise, who says you don't have to read the Maiden Lane books in order, but they are so much fun you might as well. Your credit card might hate me, but you won't you can start binge reading today. I also want to extend a very special thank you to all of the podcast Patreon supporters who are helping me develop topics, interview ideas, and episode suggestions for the 2017 season of the podcast. You all have tremendous ideas. This is, of course, not surprising, but I am still very, very thankful for your help. And if you would like to get in on the fun and help support the show, you can have a look at patreon.com smartbitches you can help keep the show going at its current awesome and mostly professional level for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you for being incredibly excellent for listening to the show and for helping me plan an outstanding podcast for the new year. And speaking of Patreon, I have some compliments to give out, and this is so much fun. To Regina, someone right now is designing posters about people who inspire kindness and happy thoughts, and your picture is on all of them. To Natasha, wherever you are, above and below you, sprites, ghosts, fairies, and pixies are throwing a massive party because you are there. To Abby, in a recent survey, nine out of nine scientists agreed that you are the human representative of excellent cake, perfect bread, the finest chocolate, and superb tea. To Beverly, you bring warmth and affection to the world in every direction. Wherever you're going, wherever you've been, whoever is standing next to you, the world is better because you are here. You're like a glow stick, only better. And to MLW, you are the type of friend who is so valuable, so welcome, and so important. Your friends sometimes can't find the words to explain it. And that's why they give you that weird look and they wave their arms around because they're trying to find the words and they're just not there. If you are wondering what in the world is going on, or you would like a handcrafted 98% silly, but completely heartfelt compliment. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. All of the details are there. And if you've had a look or you've shared the link or you've supported the show, I am deeply grateful. Thank you very much. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. 
And I also want to make sure to tell you about our iBooks page, itunes.com slash dbsa. If you're an iBooks type of person, and I know there are many of you out there, the most recent episodes, plus some of the books we're talking about in each one, are listed on our very cool page, so you can have a look. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Felbers, um, second child of Edith Layton, noted author. <laughs> and I'm Susie Felbert, third child of Edith Layton, noted author. And there's another child, first child. Who you don't want to talk to. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, I suppose. I mean, if you ever feel like letting that particular child out of the basement, that's fine. But, you know, not required. Oh. He dreams of a basement. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, please. What what was it like growing up with a famous romance author as a mom? Well, we didn't. We When we were growing up, she wasn't a famous romance author. In fact, she didn't sell her first book, uh, The Duke's Wager, a, a signet uh, regency, came out when I was in 10th grade and Susie was in 6th grade. Yeah. So mo most of growing up, mom was uh, writing for newspapers, ever bigger ones, from the local Jericho Tribune on Long Island to worked her way up to Newsday, then worked her way to some pieces in the New York Times. And she, you know, wrote books, but didn't get one published until yeah. uh, the last child was 10 years old. And I, uh, the entire family went to the mall and got uh, T-shirts with felt letters. Um, reading the Duke's Wager. Reading the Duke's Wager. Um, and we wore them proudly. Okay, that's awesome. She wrote three novels when I was about, uh, uh, between the, when I was between eight and uh, ten years old. She wrote a, a, a romance, a mystery, and a science fiction. She was always very into genre literature. And she told us that whichever one sold first, that's what she was going to do. And six short years later... <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't an overnight success. And I know that story, if anyone knows her story, has been told many times about how she had so many rejections. She could have papered a bathroom with them. And uh, first it was amusing, then it was downright depressing. And then our dad, who is also not no longer with us, he was a doctor, a hematologist, and he didn't want her to quit, but she quit. And so he started sending out her novels under the dog's name. Now, <laughs> our dog was a German shepherd, so his name was Gustav von Eisenherz. Oh um, and he sent out, he sent out um, many, many books, often back to the publishers who had already rejected them, but rejected them with some interest. So she just, he just kept sending them out. Yeah, and so our dog got a lot of rejection slips. But also some really, you know, our dog got some really nice, encouraging letters as well. I actually think he was the brains behind the entire operation. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> I had to mute my microphone. I was laughing too hard. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, no. We were just worried about you because, yeah. uh, no. And yeah. so, um, we've, we've, we've put podcasters to sleep before. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Someone's going to be walking their dog listening to this and walk straight into a tree because they're laughing too hard. Aww. <laughs> yeah. And her first book was, it was a different dog, but, uh, her first book was dedicated to her dog. Aww. 
Yeah, that sounds really nice unless you're one of her kids. No, but but it was, it was actually, she wanted to dedicate it to our dad. She wanted to dedicate it to her husband. And but he refused. He refused. He thought that was too uh, sappy. Maudlin. And he said, will you dedicate it? <laughs> he wasn't it? into romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn. That's that's oh. uh, That's unfortunate. Yeah, for him, romance was when they went on a date, he shared a gallstone he had removed from somebody. Yeah. He said, I have something to show you. She thought she was being given an opal. Yeah, she thought she was going (laughs) to get a diamond ring, and out of his pocket came a gallstone. And she actually was pretty charmed by it. Like, (laughs) this this guy is getting really excited about (laughs) a gallstone in his pocket. Apparently, they do look like opals, though. Really? Yeah. What? Mom, Mom told me that she thought he was handing her like three opals in a handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's serious romance. Gallstones? I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah, sounds really romantic. But anyway, she she took it as just, she had little hearts in her eyes for the fact that he was passionate about this. And, about, yeah. About and something. weird. And gallstones. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were heart-shaped. Uh, uh, I do not think so. I, think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were blob-shaped. <laughs> So what are your favorite memories of your mother as a as a writer as she became more and more successful? Because there are so many romance readers who adore her books and keep them and move them and have them on their shelves forever and will not part with them or lend them to anyone. I just loved going to the conventions when, when whenever I was in the same town as the conventions because having known her as somebody who sat at the kitchen table long after we were all supposed to be asleep – chain smoking cigarettes and scribbling on, you know, her books onto a yellow legal pad. Right. Just the idea having, you know, 10 years later, having quit smoking and graduated up to a word processor. Whoa, big time. Just to to go to those conventions and see her signing books and stuff and surrounded by friends and colleagues. It was just completely inspirational. And, and actually meeting, uh, meeting fans was, Exciting because, yeah, it was a pursuit she did at the kitchen table. She finally got an office in the house. Sorry about that dinging. Um, uh, For me, it was also uh, the conventions, and there was no internet. And the fan letters, you know, if she got fan letters, they would come months later from the publisher. Usually they'd been opened. They looked like, you know, they'd been sat on. and, (laughs) and, And going to the conventions and meeting actual humans who had read her books was a really... Really big deal. It's a big thrill because you know her kind of her kind of success story is kind of uh, if we can backtrack a little bit. She um, was a writer all her life. She wrote her first book in a little notebook when she was a, you know a school kid, and she um, took a career detour after winning a playwriting competition at Hunter College. Soon after that, she got married and took a six year career detour to have us. And. Um, then by, by dint of sheer determination, as I said, stayed up later than she should have or anybody should have to start, you know, plowing ahead with with writing again from the position of also being a suburban mom. And also having no agent and also only going through what I don't even know if it still exists, but going through the slush pile. Yeah, she came up through the slush pile. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yes. And but the person totally self-made when you think about it, the person who picked her out of the slush pile. I mean, it's so bad because I'm blanking on her name, but she she was. No, no, no. Wasn't Hillary was her first editor or publisher. But the first person who picked her out of the slush pile became a big editor who later was her editor at another house. And now I'm blanking on the name. So apologies if that wonderful editor is listening. But um, yeah, that's a that's a super success story. But the conventions were 
so fun and so over the top. It was at the Roosevelt Hotel, Catherine Falk production. Oh, so it was Romantic uh, Times. It, the Romantic Times. No, those were the times. first conventions that I attended were the, were the Romantic Times ones. So over the top, like win win a date with a duke and Catherine had dragged out some guy with some minor royalty who was about <laughs> 90 pounds soaking wet um, <laughs> looked a bit like a anorexic vampire and yeah. she put him up on a stage and was like enter to win a date with the duke you know uh, or yeah. something does she still get letters from readers do you still get letters about her books i do i do i mean i manage the estate, which Susie sounds, is the executrix of the yes, estate. Yes, I'm the executrix of the estate. Now, I'm the one responsible for bringing the books back and, and doing all that. And I, I, I merely still... collect the millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. When you say estate, I, I should have two <laughs> Afghan hounds here right. and, and uh, a, a large Sunset Boulevard staircase. Um, my staircase is slightly smaller. Yeah, whereas from a, from a monetary perspective, it's it's more of a steamer trunk. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely do hear from fans and answer to fans. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been wonderful bringing them back as ebooks. That was always a goal. But, you know, I also opted to have kids. And I also have a, you know, demanding full time job with French directors texting me. And um, I just leave a li- live a life of leisure off the profits. <laughs> 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 I'm rolling $100 bills into cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, Are but, you muting yourself again? No, I'm just wondering how often you have to sort of wander onto a stage in Chicago, like say a few words and then leave and go roll around in your money. That's what I do. I'm yep. doing that Thursday. In fact, we're taping a wait, wait. I'll, 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 I'll hop right out of my money bath <laughs> onto the stage. He's the Scrooge McDuck of NPR. <laughs> Absolutely. No, he really is. He's leaving. So his family went back to L.A. and he's here with me and cooking. Adam is here. By the way, Adam is an amazing cook now, which Aww. NPR people don't know. And uh, he's here cooking meals for me before he goes off to Chicago to record Wait, Wait. Yeah. Nice. So you guys have a really lovely relationship. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we always have. Um, probably in opposition to our brother. We lead together. Yeah, we've, we've always been super close, but that's either because he brainwashed me probably. into thinking that, you know, I should be playing video games and Dungeons and Dragons at all moments. Yes. Of course or you I should. Was, or I was into that. It's kind of a Stockholm syndrome thing. Yeah, how would you, how would you know? You were, you were three. I didn't know. <laughs> he, he got me to the point where, like, I would be panning his shag rug for quarters for the arcade. Like, <laughs> I really, and you could, you could move the blue fibers apart and, and sometimes find change that you could use at the mall. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of probably more a product of Adam than, than I know. I think just Adam and Miss Piggy are, that, then that, there's my personality. Yeah. Those, two, those are my influences. Getting back to mom, I mean, she's uh, kind of inspired Adam, you know, when he went ahead and wrote a book, even as big N- NPR celeb, it took a while to find a house for you, for your novel. Yeah. Well, I, I got lucky, though, because I, uh, when I finished my book, I was already a blogger. Right. That so, can help a little bit, I, I, I've heard. Oh, it helped a lot, because oh, I, yeah. was, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was blogging and uh, living in Brooklyn, and somebody... Oh, that helps, too. Well, a, a reader of my blog turned out to be a, a literary agent who lived down the street. So I printed up my book and walked it down the street to him when he, when he sent me an email. 
He didn't send me an email. I think he wrote in the comment section of my blog, hi, Adam, I'm a literary agent who lives down the street. <laughs> so, so my, my, um, Did you bring him my, some takeout too? Like here's my book and have a it, snack. It was insane. My course, the literary uh, greatness, which by the way, numbers about 30 less books than my mom. Um, it was, <laughs> was a much smoother course. Thanks. Thanks to Brooklyn, Scott Mendel and a blog. And you not being big a- shout out to Scott Mendel. <laughs> you not being a housewife on Long Island. At that point, I wasn't. <laughs> no, it, it generally you have a little bit more free time when you're not. So have you read many or any of your mom's books? I mean, it would be normal for you to have read them, and I think it would be normal for you to have not read them. I have read, I would say, many, but certainly not all of them. I think Susie's probably read more of them than I have. Well, honestly, I've read 90% of her work and of her as-yet-to-be-published work, but I... When mom was diagnosed uh, with ovarian cancer, I actually uh, made, I I decided consciously not to read some of her books and I still haven't so that after she was gone, I could open it up and like when I needed it and like really experience her voice. So the ones I haven't read are really like, you know, saving for a rainy day and it is raining today, but I. Some of the newer ones. Uh, some of the newer ones, but no, there was there were uh, there was one of the signets that I've never read. Which one? And I am saving it up. Oh, I wow. never read Lady of Spirit. Lady of Spirit wasn't that like her fourth one? Uh, Lady of Spirit is five, four, or five. I know exactly who she um, based the villainess on. No, um, no, no, no! You're thinking of False Angel. Oh, uh, you're right, False Angel. Oh. Okay, so who was the villain based I'm not gonna on? Reveal that. I'm not going to reveal any of that. Oh my god, because it's only it's, it's someone uh, close to us that no one else would care about. So, and we are not we are not going there. But, but here's an interesting piece of trivia. Oh, she nice. um, she uh, based many of her first heroes, uh, most of her first heroes, many of the villains uh, throughout her career on um, on rock stars. Really? Yeah, yeah she was because uh, Susie and I were addicted to MTV, and after a while, she was just ask us, like, who, who should I be looking at? <laughs> <laughs> Who's a complete jerk? That's what I want to no, know. About. No, no, no. She the, was also a big fan, so like, she was a huge Rod Stewart fan, early Rod Stewart. So mm-hmm. there's one Rod Stewart, and she's a huge David Bowie fan. David so Bowie is one of her first heroes. Lord of Dishonor, David Bowie. No um, way, really. Tom Petty makes yeah. an appearance in one of the early books as, a, I believe, a, a villain. Yeah, but, yeah, Lord of Dishonor, he's got two different color eyes. And, and Adamant, Adamant is the one dedicated to you. Abandoned Bride? Uh, Red Jack's Daughter. Oh, Red Jack's Daughter. Red Jack's Daughter is Adamant. And, uh, <laughs> this is and, amazing. <laughs> and the heroines, weirdly, were almost never based on famous women. They were usually, she'd be at a restaurant somewhere and think the waitress was really just gorgeous and she'd freak out you'd be eating and she'd be like oh my god look at her <laughs> I mean, and you'd look at her and you'd be like it's a waitress you know? like, <laughs> i didn't see any like stunning beauty but mom when she was wanting to get pregnant with a book you know she would like go to restaurants a lot no <laughs> well, yeah eat out and and just whoever was walking by her could become you know the fire flower both the hero and heroine are based on we're waiting for a fairy, uh, maybe to get to Isle of Wight or something. And there was a redheaded guy on a motorcycle 
with his dark-haired girlfriend on the back, and she basically had an orgasm and was like, that's it, that's my book, those two people. I was like, what are you talking about? That's one of my favorite books, by the way. The Fireflower is fantastic. She didn't have the plot. She didn't have the time. She was just like, those are the people I'm gonna base the book on, because he turned around and he gave her a sweet little kiss while she was on the motorcycle waiting for the ferry, just like a kiss on the cheek. And it was so like meaningful to her that it was like, that's our Hitler, there we go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so if you were walking by her or serving her fries, <laughs> she was creating books, you might end up in a book, or yeah, if you were I, a hot English rock star. I, sus I suspect that there that it's not a coincidence that, that many of the heroes were hot English rock stars and many of the heroines were people who were in a serving profession, because like that's a lot, very often the, the social dynamic in her books or yes. any romance point. book. Yes, she does play a lot with class and status. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the guys, the guys uh, never come from nothing, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I'm, tr I'm trying to. I'm trying they to might think. have been cheated out of their uh, inheritance, but there, there are no. Yeah, they were Edith, born. They were born to nobility. <laughs> there were no Edith Layton heroes who were uh, born to chimney, chimney sweeps. <laughs> so you said for you said a minute ago that she was trying to get pregnant with a book. Is that how she described it? No, no, that's how no. Susie described it. That's just how I described it, it at kinda, this moment. It, it kind of grossed me out a little bit. Yeah, sorry. But you know, no, it, it, it makes sense. Cut. It totally makes sense from a writing point of view. You, you it want... doesn't think of paper cuts. <laughs> no, no, but don't what? attribute that to her. That was just me in the moment. Like, oh, okay. You know, there, there's that time when you're, you're, you're nesting. And so yep. I would say the creation of a book, you're nesting, and yeah. she's pulling a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And dragging us on endless trips. I mean, a big part of being a romance author's kid, and again, pre-internet, is we took so many freaking trips to the UK. <laughs> I am you now, took more than me, though. Oh, As somebody four years younger, yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, there were... But again, Stockholm Syndrome, uh, I was so sick of going to England and Scotland <laughs> and Wales. And that, I, that she married an Englishman. And then I ended up marrying an Englishman. And, I, and, he, and his family is scattered around all these places that are, you know. Um, well, you're yeah. stuck now. <laughs> we went to, yeah. but you did it too, Adam. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, many trips. If history took place somewhere, the rental car went there. And <laughs> It was like, it, whether it was a field of sheep and we were walking across it and she'd be in raptures about what happened in this field, right. uh, filled with sheep poo. It got easier when we got old enough to drink in England. Yes. <laughs> I remember, I remember one, one night out at, awesome. in Wales, uh, I, was, I was studying in England and, and then uh, the whole family took a trip there. Susie was just of, of, I was more, not of age. more or less acceptable drinking age because I, I must have been 21, so Susie was 17. Or twenty and sixteen, and uh, we I went out. I have boobs. To, they let me drink. Right, we went out to Cape David, right, out in the the very end of Wales, and got so drunk in that hotel's pub. Yeah, yeah, there were a couple nights. And what about? Wasn't it Penzance? No, wasn't there in the south of England when they hit the spot on the bar? That was Cape David. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Wait, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That was the same trip that, that we saw some of those, my, my, like my favorite castle of all time, Bomaris. Yeah. Well, castles was awesome. She dragged us to every castle, even if there were only two rocks still standing of the castle. We went every, uh, and any walled uh, Chester, any walled city, like. Yeah. We, we spent a lot of time with some very confused sheep. <laughs> but even though she didn't write books about it, I mean, if there was a Druid circle, we were there. Yeah. <laughs> And those druids, they like their circles. 
They weren't very romantic. It's though. not all Stonehenge. It's a lot of Hayhenge, Cornhenge. Cornhenge. Truly, shit, and and GPS hasn't been invented yet. Henge that you look for for a few hours. Yeah, back back then I thought that like this this these were the henges they were making before they got the bright idea to do Stonehenge. But now I think it was probably in reverse. They you know they were like, why are we bothering dragging these rocks? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, one of Mom's heroes was we were lost. I don't know if you were on this trip, Adam, but we were lost looking for a druid circle, and uh, we had to ask anyone we finally saw a human and we pulled over and there was this complete this guy with this crazy hair and wind-beaten face and oh, we had yeah. to ask him for directions to get to the stone circle and he didn't know and he had a, a crazy accent but she was like oh my god he's gorgeous and again <laughs> she thought he was gorgeous right that that was England talking. That was that it was, was England the, the talking. Drug. Like she was so <laughs> in love with England that like uh, you know somebody could spit on you and she would be like, well, "What a charming life!" Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't spit like that at home. <laughs> you, did you notice the arc before it hit me? It's considered a sign of good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which of her books are you working on bringing out digitally? Like, I know The Fire Flower, I don't think that's been re-released, has it? No, no, not yet. It hasn't been, but it will be. So, like, all the early signets are out or in process of getting out, the the small uh, traditional regencies. The next three to come that I just uh, signed on the dotted line with are actually, I mean, some people would think we'd go to the super regencies next, but we're doing... Three that I think are fantastic, but are uh, little known, Bound by Love, A True Lady, and The Wedding. Ah, The Wedding. Three Harper, uh, I think they're Harper titles. And Wasn't The Wedding part of a larger run of books? No, I think The Wedding's standalone. But those are the three. Bound, do you know those, Sarah? I do know True Lady. I do not know Bound by Love. But I do know True Lady in the Wedding. Yeah, so True Lady was her sassy pirate heroine. Um, and, oh, that was a good one. Uh, and Bound by Love and The Wedding. And I, I'm really a fan of The Wedding, even though there's one character in it who's a little over the top. But uh, those are the next three. And then I think I'm going to move to the Super Regencies, which are super great and people love, and they've been missing in action forever. Love in Disguise. Love in Disguise was the first of them. The, the first. That was a big moment for my mom, like going from the uh, 200, uh, you know, 200 plus page paperback signet Regencies to the Super Regencies. Bigger, better, splashier, you know, uh, more room to explore stuff. And the, and the first one was was that one. Yeah, it's and, it's sad that you can't do the original covers because some of those covers are just completely bonkers. They really yeah, are. Well, those were the pinos. So yeah. the the uh, love and disguise were the pinos. I mean, again, the question of you know, you appreciate the covers. I appreciate the covers. In some ways, I could probably do the original Duke's Wager cover because the the painting. Uh, I have the painting. It was given to her by Alan Cass. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're looking at a painting of, of the fire flower right now. <laughs> we're looking. Oh, so the oh that cover is crazy sauce. Oh, love that one. But <laughs> that one of all of her books is the only one that was done by a truly famous artist, Bob McGuire. And Adam is supposed to take that back to L.A., but has yet to take it with him. But um, That guy has a red mullet. 
Nah, it's a red mullet. It's but, not a mullet. But you know, it's London kind of feathered. Is, London is burning in the background. Spoiler. Right. And that's it's just a, a it's, fantastic. It's, it's a rare redhead Fabio. So it's Bob McGuire. <laughs> and Fabio. It is Fabio. It is actually Fabio. No and, way. Uh, oh, yeah. In a red mullet. <laughs> yeah. So when I bring back uh, Fireflower, I might be using the original I whatever. So. But, you know, you, you just really want to respect the rights. And, yep. So in their cases, not just the rights, but the estate, like I would, even if I, it is in my right to use it for free, I would want to pay for it. And I, you know, I have a very good friend who's an illustrator who still does painted covers for Kensington. And I wow. love that. Um, That's a so lost he, art. It oh, is yeah. a lost art, but he's still doing it. He's and, fantastic. His name is Stephen Gardner. He's a fantastic artist. Yeah. So I want to commission Stephen to do uh, some of the upcoming so that we have real illustrated covers, even if they're not the original illustration. And, St- and Stephen knew Mom, knew her quite well and really liked it. Oh, so. is that our Thanksgiving all the time? <clears throat> yeah. And yet another Englishman. And another Englishman. <laughs> Can't so get she, away. She's no. bound to love him. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, and then I'll probably go to the American series, um, the uh, Gilded Cage, Silvery Moon. I love the Gilded Cage. That's a, that's a good book. That, that's that's the first well, of the two, right? Well, here's the thing: that's Gilded right. Cage is a really entertaining book, but that's the one dedicated to me, and that's the only one that I don't love because she dedicated it to me, and she was thinking of me when she was writing it. So I know it's Victorian. I know she had to be with the time period, but she made that heroine so annoyingly chaste because she based the heroine on me. <laughs> she she doesn't want, me. She's not going to make a character based on you into some kind I of slut. I know, but I was a daughter who was picking up romances, bags of them, starting when I was 12 years old at the RT conventions, and I kept the good ones under my bed. Right. And, oh, no kidding. Um, you know, good, quote unquote. Uh-huh. And... Uh, yeah, and so that heroine, I was like, Mom, seriously, I've read, uh, you know, I've she, read she, it she all. Liked, she liked embedding object lessons for us in her books. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're, no. They're vaguely based on us. They're, 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 that character would learn the lesson to live the way she thought we should live. I know. <laughs> that was a hard part of being her son. I know. No. It wasn't getting through with her Jewish nagging all the time. No, really. <laughs> so in the, in the Gilded Cage, the lesson is, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't have sex is the lesson to the heroine. She wrote an unpublished that... fantasy novel once, which I don't think she ever really thought could, stood a chance of getting published, but was just it was just clearly about me and a warning. <laughs> it was a good book. It was a good book, but it was like it was, a, it was a, about this young magician who uh, was basically about to be held back in town by this this evil provincial woman who wanted to ensnare him into marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you did have a lot of evil provincial women trying to ensnare you. Yeah, they failed, though, didn't they? They failed terribly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But but not most, you know, I wouldn't say that most of her characters were based on real people she knew, but she peppered them in there. That's mm-hmm. all. She just peppered them. Most of them were, you know, just like people she didn't know. But, um yeah, yeah. So the American series, I really like it. Like, and she would put in little things for us, like the dog in a gilded cage. She's like, "What do you want?" It was bespoke uh, novel creation at that point. She's like, <laughs> what What would you like to see in this book that I shall dedicate it to you? And I was like, "Well, I've always wanted a dog who could 
you know, shoot it and it would fall over, you know, like do the finger bang trick. And it would fall down. Yeah, it would fall down. And she did that for me because that was my dream to have a dog that did that. And <laughs> Finger bang. And I would say a finger bang. Okay. That's a different novel. That's not going to happen in Gilded Cage if she's not supposed to do it. You just did. I said finger bang first? You just said finger bang. Not Sarah? No, no, no it was you. Oh, that man. That was you. Oh, let, man. Let the record reflect. <laughs> you got to own that. Uh, anyway, my, my dog currently does do that trick. I taught a dog that trick. But she put that in the book for me. And By the way, uh, let's clarify. This is the trick where you make your hand into a gun and mime shoot them, not... Not actually shoot your dog. And that, nothing to do with actual finger... You know. Finger banging. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> that would be a very different book. And that's not something you should train your dog to do. No, no. Nor should, <laughs> nor should you request that from your mother in her fiction. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, sorry, Susie. I dug myself in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susie, you said a little bit ago that you are, you're saving her books so that you can visit with your mom. Is reading her books like hearing her voice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like 100, 110%. In a slightly affected accent? <laughs> But she but read she us pretend- her writing so much that we know exactly what that sounds like, too. Her reading voice, you know, it's just, it's just ingrained in us. Yeah, and also she used to read she used to read our dad the chapters every, Oh, my God. That was, I didn't night. want to tell that story, yes. No, no, it's a great story. You tell the story. Well, no, she just, like, for the first 10 years, easily, of her writing career, she would read, at the end of the day, everything she'd read to our dad, which was... Everything she'd written, yeah. Everything she'd written. And it was, uh, which was, you know, a quick and fun thing for him back when she was writing opinion pieces for newspapers. But as she became more prolific and, and wrote faster and faster, and don't forget, he was a hardworking hematologist. He was a hematologist, hematologist out the door at 6 a.m. A workaholic. So, like, he'd be, he, I, I remember so clearly, like, you know, going down to visit my parents at, like, 10 p.m., and he'd be sitting at the table listening to her reading everything that she'd written that day, and then, you know, punctuated by um, spats wherein she would accuse him of falling asleep and he would maintain <laughs> that he was just resting his eyes. Yeah. So that, that was like a common fight. Uh, that Every he, night. That he would fall asleep. However, you know, it was kind of a beautiful thing. It was. It would, she would be furious at him and not talk to him for a day or two for falling asleep on her. Uh-huh. And then uh, she'd come back two days later when she had settled and go, you know... I realized why he fell asleep. Right. Because this section needed more, and I reworked it, and blah, <laughs> yeah. blah, blah. No, he fell asleep because he dealt with, like, 19 sickle cell anemia patients that day. Right. <laughs> you know, but for whatever reason, she would decide that there was an actual, and, you know, maybe there was, and, and, and also, conversely, once in a blue moon, she could make him tear up and cry. Yeah. My dad was not a crier. This oh, guy wow. Stones in his pocket. And if, if, <laughs> She would come out triumphant like she had just got you know, gotten a lion and she's like, got him. And he, if he teared up, then that meant like, Success. this was fucking awesome. Yeah. If I can make the doctor cry. And amazing. it doesn't matter how, how random his falling asleep was because, um, you know, now that I'm a writer, anything that could make you scrap what you're writing and rewrite it is a good thing. Yep. This is true. So, so Adam... Adam just gives his wife Ambien. Yeah. While he's reading to her. Right. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about the different books that she's written. Do you guys have favorites? Um, as I said, Fireflower. Is I your love. favorite? It's probably my favorite. Um, Why? 
I love the Gilded Cage, the American one. Wait, I, they, she said why? Oh, why? Yeah. You know, maybe because um, I at that point had read um, many of her regencies, and this was a different period. I know we like being in 1666. Yeah, that was a particularly good research trip. It was a really good research trip, and it was. Um, she was so far out of her comfort zone, and in it, London is so far out of her comfort zone. It's just this Phoenix-like transformative kind of novel. She's just, she's just kind of, she's as lost as London is in writing it, and she, the way she finds her way through the it's just beautiful. It's it's a it's a beautiful story. Wow. So how, have you have you I mean do you reread her books at all? Do you go back to them, or do you, do you I sort of move the? Reread. Flower, but I only read it the once back in God thirty years ago. Yeah, so I've reread them, and now I'm rereading them as we republish. You know, obviously I'm the one copy, you know, copy editing them, and so I, I am rereading them uh, all the time. And uh, although not Lady of Spirit, so Lady of Spirit came out. <laughs> I literally it was like someone else copy like I don't I don't want to I don't want my first experience with this book I haven't read to be like looking for freaking typos <laughs> I love Gilded Cage as well that's and that's one that I have reread the beginning of several times that's the one that opens with Gilbert and Sullivan right that's a good yeah yeah I love that and because she, she used to ecstatic she told me that story ecstatically like nine times and there's a <laughs> lot of funny bits in Gilded Cage so maybe yeah. that's why you like it's it. very funny it's 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 yeah it's, it's American again I guess her first trip to any place or time are, are the books that, that appeal to me. And I, my, my favorites actually are the short stories. And those will be coming out in ebook format. And that's one? what people want. Like her Christmas short stories, also A Love for All Seasons, which pairs together four stories in one book. Right. When they were asking for like theme collection of short stories. I love her short stories because they're just light and her humor is on display and she's able to get to the like, Meet the, the matter quickly. Her mm -hmm. editors used to always make fun of her that like every one of her books um, started with start, starts with like 15 pages of weather. And they would, they would just be like, Edith, can we take it down to maybe a page and a half of weather and then just meet a human being? That's how she would like set the stage for herself. And, and her writing style changed obviously with her editors and with people's tastes. And mm -hmm. she was always being told to sex it up. I mean, uh, you know, mom was not a prude at all, but like she came from the Regency model, you know, and even in the Regencies, they were at super Regencies. They were like, can you please sex it up? And, you know, so like mom was trying to be valid with the time period and getting editors like, no, no, not enough sex. So as time went on, you know, you can see that kind of push and pull. If she was told, you know, she was writing a modern book. She had no problem like sexing it up, but it was very hard for her to like, keep keep it real to what what she thought it should be mm -hmm. and also she did get shorter you know she got uh, her friendship with Joan Wolfe was a big influence on her because she helped Joan come up with a lot of um, her plots and uh, they read each other's books and you know right. Joan is a very spare writer which and, gave my dad a break by the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> but Joan you know my mom would never choose to be Joan's style, but she, as she read her books more, she was like, hey, I like how this woman gets to the point, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so she really influenced her there, I would say. So when you read her books, I don't know, like you're going to get a lot of different Edith Layton styles. And I think some people who are really 
keyed into the traditional regencies are going to be disappointed by the later stuff and the people who get the the C novels like people are crazy about the cab the choice the cab the choice like they're crazy about that but if they hook into that and then they go to something else you know I I, I don't know I mean you have to talk to yeah, usually, usually with fans the, whichever period of hers that you you come to first is the one that they fall in love with like Doctor Who. Yes. Like Doctor Who. <laughs> totally. You never forget your first doctor. Exactly. And you never forget your first Leighton. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> your favorite, The Duke's Wager? Because it's so different? Or what's your favorite, Sarah? That's or what have you read? I think my favorite is The Duke's Wager, but partially that's because I really like being tricked by a book. Like, I've read so much romance, so much, that for a book to surprise me, is really rare and I get so excited. Like there is a, a book by Loretta Chase, one of her older regencies that's called The Devil's Delilah and the plot completely surprised me and I loved it. Wow. And, the, and the Duke's Wager did the same thing. I I was so surprised and delighted and I think that was one of your mom's greatest gifts was that she had really good plot skills. That's that's interesting because this, this is a story, it will be incomplete because it's lost in the sands of time for me. But I remember that one of the reasons the Duke's Wager the Duke's Wager came pretty close to selling uh, three or four years before it sold. And the woman who wanted to... Um, no, it would have sold. She was yeah. just like, change the... Change ending. the ending. The wrong character wins. The wrong guy wins. For no. Yes. And no. Mom, no, I'm not going to change it. But no, but but then a couple of years later, she did change it. But that editor was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it would have been even more surprising had it been the original way. Although... No. No, uh, no, I don't think that's the story. The story is the woman said change it. She was like, no. Okay. And then she, re her friend persuaded her, like, you know, just. Oh, and then she sold it. No, then she sold it the way it is now. And then the publisher went bankrupt, and they weren't taking any more books. And then her friend said, okay, send it again. They're back in business. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> It was, like it was a long road, but it was a con it, it was it was a convoluted story to get to that story. Yeah, oh. but she didn't change from what she wanted it to be. Like what it is now is what she wanted it to be. I like how we're all avoiding spoilers for a forty-year-old book. <laughs> you know, it's 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 difficult because you know, for me, one of the things that I find so interesting about publishing is that there's a lot of emphasis on what's new, what's the new book. Because every Tuesday, there's more romances every single week, and with self-publishing, like every day. But for me, a, a book that I haven't read is a new book. So right. if I haven't read one of your mom's books, then that's a new book for me, even if it was published, you know, in the 80s or in the early 90s. So well, I really try not to spoil. I said it's historical, so it will never be outdated. Exactly. It was I mean, born outdated. And it's historical is, I think there's a, a bunch of readers, myself included, who always enjoy them. So if I haven't read it, it's new and I don't want to spoil it if someone else hasn't read it, especially because... Because you're in the process of re-releasing her backlist digitally, that's like a whole new bunch of readers that get to discover her books who otherwise would have had to go hunt them down in old in used bookstores. Yeah, that's exactly. Awesome. I mean, that's that's really, you know, the reason I'm doing it. It's so exciting to bring the books back. I mean, look, I've had some older fans say, "I have her books; they're treasured, but my eyes are such that I can't read them anymore yep. in form." I need them in ebooks, and then they're so delighted. Then they come out, and then I have the really young fans who are like, "What? Like, who is this person?" And and it's all uh, when they hook into it, it's so 
great because we have this idea that a book is forever, but you know, the paper books are, are, are not. And, and it's great to bring them back. And I'm going to be doing audio books where there's been a delay on that only because I'm a big audio book snob and I want the right voiceover and I'm not willing, you know, anybody can. Wait, can, you guys aren't doing the audio? No, no, I'm going to, but I haven't brought out. Oh, what? Us narrating? Yes. Well, wow. we have an idea of, uh, of a, it, keeping it all in the family, yes. having having Jeannie Simpson, who is an actress who you might have seen on Mad Men and Parks and Rec, who happens to be married to Adam here, um, her narrating. But even though we're both performers, we've, we've both been paid to perform. I don't think you want to hear Adam and I narrating yeah, my, a if, historical if, if, romance. If I read one of her books, it would be like an episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Let me grab one. You start. No, <laughs> be terrible at it. Don't get a, don't get a book out. No, no. Demonstrate how you would narrate. Yeah, right, opened from, a page. From false Angel. Um, but he had not been successful <laughs> at his chosen avocation because he was oblivious to the world around him. So much as he might have tried to deny the nagging thoughts which nibbled at the edges of his attention with the sharp rodent teeth okay, that so unpleasant you, recollections always employ. You see what I'm talking wow, about. Wow, that is a sentence. It's a sentence. It's a mouthful. And we need... Yeah. We need a pro, and so that would be Jeannie, and that would be professional voiceover people, but mm -hmm. I've done enough VO to understand that, like, I am not good enough to do that, but I appreciate you thinking we might be. Yeah. I don't know. I think that you should do little snippets of dialogue between characters. Oh, <laughs> Just oh maybe. Them. maybe. That would be fun. That would be hilarious. I, I just don't consider my voice, uh, or really Susie's voice, appropriate to a historical novel, whereas... Whereas uh, Jeannie, my wife, uh, you know, she's been in plenty of uh, of period dramas. She's a Harvard-trained actress. Harvard-trained actress. <laughs> um, and we would do that voice for the books, and right. that would be really terrible. Um, but those will come back, and so I'm trying to bring everything back. It's just, uh, you know, well when. When things were released in print 20, 30 years ago, it's a process to bring them into contemporary technology. I mean, you, you told me you have to cut the spines off and scan them all in, right? Yeah, you have to ruin a book. So you, you have to kill a book and scan it and, you know, everybody it's and copy edit. I mean, the, the God, the technology is so much better, but you can't trust the scanning. Yeah, yeah. O OCR is still not completely, uh, completely there. You will have typos. Yeah, OCR I, scanning is the reason that I was once out of two times a question on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What? Really? I, yeah, this is in my bio. I was a question on Wait, Wait, Twice. Like, this just gives me joy. There was, oh gosh, a couple of years ago, I realized that in OCR scanning, arms, especially in a, in a serif font, becomes anus. So he wrapped her anus around him. He, she threw her anus around his shoulders. Wow. <laughs> so I started tweeting about it because it was hilarious. And somebody, somebody at NPR picked it up and it was uh, one of the questions posed to the panel. <laughs> and I, I, can't, I can't imagine Peter Sagal ever turning that down while writing a show. That, that's a perfect. <laughs> there was, it was, there was awesome. so much use of the word anus in that episode. It was majestic. I was not on that one. No, you were not. It's very sad. But yes, OCR errors are um, incredible. They're incredible. And your eye can just glide over them. But yeah. that's why. So it's untreed reads bringing the books out. I mean, there's no reason if I didn't work and I didn't have kids, there's no reason why I couldn't be 
doing this myself, but mm -hmm. I, I tried, I mean, first there was a it's trauma a of mom going and having another baby. And then I was like, I will do this. I will do this myself. Right. And, so and much I had work. her house and all of her <laughs> business. And I was still like, I will release these myself. I don't need any help. Susie and Felber Publications prevent. <laughs> <laughs> It's in the archives. Yeah, that's what I thought it would be. Um, but Not so much. Not so much. Couldn't do it. Um, and if I ever become, you know, have nothing else to do. And Indolent. My, my kids get abducted, I might do it. But um, It's a staggering amount of work. Untreed Reads is great because they go and they get her books in libraries. You know, I mean, that to me is a really big deal. Um, selling the books to libraries. Is there much money in that? No, not at all. But it is fantastic that libraries all over the country now have Edith Layton in yeah. their e-catalog. Given that so many major publishers are very resistant to digital lending, uh, it's it's even more it's even more beneficial for her and her legacy that she's there because there are so many authors who can't get into libraries digitally because publishers won't allow it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm super in favor of that. Like anything I can do to keep the books in the world. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I've been doing giveaways though, Sarah. <laughs> I tried doing, uh, Amazon giveaways of her last release and, um, like I'm, I'm giving away books free and I, I've given away other books. Like people do not go for books as much as they go for led toilet lights. It was an experiment I did. Right. Um, <laughs> in the Amazon ecosystem, yes, you want LED toilet lights. LED toilet lights, people want more than they want to read books, which is just a sad statement. Um, I don't want to be gross, though, but given where much reading happens, maybe you want to pair some of her books with an LED toilet light. Ooh. Read now, in the dark at night on the mm. toilet. That's mm. it. I've just, I've just. TM that idea. Right. I, I, I hear it. I hear the giant dump truck of money. It's heading north towards your house. <laughs> yeah. gonna... Back it up. Yeah. Beep, beep. Full of cash. So anyway. Uh, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's a big process. And, you know, the marketing is something that I kind of dedicate a few hours a month to. It's kind of like I'm the audience is built in. If I had more time, you know, we don't make big profits, but I take a little bit of the money we make and I, you know, the, my brothers trust me to just, you know, okay, well, we'll do this Facebook promotion or this giveaway or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, if I was the author, I would be doing more. But as I said, it's more to get the books out there in the world than, um, than make us millions. Than make us millions. Yeah. So... It must feel like a like a significant responsibility, though, to to be the to be the, the responsible parties for your mom's literary legacy. Hey, mom. <laughs> Here's what now, honestly, the checks are not big, but uh, we split everything straight in thirds between the siblings. Mm -hmm. Any money that Edith Layton makes is split in thirds after taxes. And any remainder is, is stored in a vault at Leighton Manor. <laughs> which we are and, all vying and, for. And so, like, at Thanksgiving, it was, like, really nice. I was able to, we gave a big toast to Mom, uh -huh. and I was able to give 
each of us, and I have to write a check to myself, each of us a little check that like, you know, pays for the dinner and our wine and, <laughs> and say, thank you, mom, you know, yeah. because it, it's a beautiful thing. Like, it's such a great thing bringing her books back, but it's like completely win. Even if we made $10. We'd be celebrating that's, like that's ten dollars worth of readers, you know. Yes, ten dollars worth of readers, and it's money that uh, came in in such a good way. Like it's so good, it's all win. And it's funny because there's so much shame surrounding writing romance and reading romance. Readers get a lot of shame. Writers get ridiculous comments. It's really lovely to hear how proud you are of your mom. Oh, yeah. I, 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 it just, yeah. And but if I see a bad review on Amazon, like literally my, my hackles go up, my, my, my face gets hot and I want to kill. <laughs> You're not I alone in that reaction. Misunderstood the book, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, you go ahead, Adam. No, I don't know. What I was about proud, about uh, proud. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it was as, as a teenage boy, um, <laughs> yes. of, you know, I guess there was, there was, uh, I could have been ashamed or I could have just gone kind of, mm. you know, balls out proud. And I, I, I chose the latter. Well, I spent a little bit of time. I didn't literally take proud and ashamed. <laughs> so I was proud with my mother. I was proud at the conventions. I was proud, but you have to understand I'm 11 years old, 12 years old. And my mother cruised every bookstore in the romance section. And at the time, is the 80s. The covers were totally embarrassing. Yep. And she'd be like, come look at my book. And I'd be over in the sci-fi section being like, I can see fine from here. <laughs> I was so embarrassed by the covers. Like, even if I had the books under my bed, like, I, I had a struggle with that. The struggle went away quickly. And then I became balls out proud. Yeah. But, well, it was easier for me because, I, you know, I was, you know, as a teenage boy, I was so not part of that world that I didn't mind being associated with it. Right. Yeah. Well, I had a, my was, librarian in elementary school said, oh, your mom writes dirty books. He said that to me when I was 10 years old. Wow. And when your librarian snickers and says your mom writes dirty books, I just, yeah, my face got hot. He said it in front of the whole class. Like, that guy's a tool. That would have made He's me a, mad. Was a tool. He got fired for getting uh, the kids who went on the ski trip stoned. But wow. Um, anyway, that oh, was I years that later. <laughs> I remember that guy. He was my driver's ed teacher too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was your driver's ed teacher. He's the elementary school librarian. He, he never got me high. No. No, I guess as driver's ed, driver's ed teacher, he probably shouldn't have. So you never went skiing. No, no, no. I never went. If skiing. you had gone skiing, he would have gotten you high. All right. And if he <laughs> insulted your mom, you would have punched him in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the story of when you got into romance. Like, when did you go, oh, this doesn't suck? Oh, God. Or, you, or was it always, you, you always felt that way? Oh, no, 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 no. I had trouble learning to read, partially, I think, because I have terrible eyesight and partially because what I was being given to read completely sucked. But I had trouble learning to read. I kept moving backwards in reading groups, and I got it into my head that I was dumb, even though I'm not. And so in high school, when you have all of the, the burden of adolescence and puberty convincing you that you are really the worst thing ever, plus thinking I was stupid, I um, was in the library and the class valedictorian was reading this really, really, really thick paperback. And I thought, well, of course she is. You know, she's class valedictorian. She's super smart. But I worked out my one nerve to ask her what she was reading. Um, so this was the early 90s. And this yeah. is what I received in response. 
Oh my God, it's a romance novel. I cannot believe you haven't read these. These are amazing. Oh my God, what is wrong with you? You have to read them there. Come over here. I have labeled all of them. And she drags me over to the little spin wow. rack. She had read all of them. She had dog-eared all the rape scenes so you could skip them because this was the early <laughs> 90s. She's like, if it's dog-eared at the top, skip it. If it's dog-eared at the bottom, it's good. So she, wow. she had tagged the sex scenes based on whether they were consensual. And this is like a, you know, 16-year-old. Oh it was really, like I look back and I'm like, wow. Yeah, what fantastic. is she doing now? She's like, she's is, like a, she, I think she's a doctor or a surgeon because, you know, she really was, really is smart. So wow. she, a surgeon would be very appropriate because she was obviously to taking out the bad bits and leaving the good bits. Right? Totally. Oh my so god! So she Love she had it. like tagged all the bad scenes and was like, "This one is a woman dressed as a pirate. This one she's in like she's in space, and this one she runs away." <laughs> and she had a book that she was reading. So this is this is the great shame of my story. She went to the bathroom, and I picked up the book she was reading, and I started reading it, and I instantly was like, this is the greatest thing I have ever put in my brain. And I checked it out and ran out of the library before she got out of the toilet. Wow. I stole her book. <laughs> totally stole it from her. That's okay. She turned you on to it. And yeah, you, that might have you, turned her towards science. It's true. I mean, maybe she was so mad she thought of ways to precisely injure me with his couple. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. I love to think that my surgeon is... Secretly. A possibly a romance fan. Well, I, uh, uh, I have found that whenever I have a doctor appointment, I get a lot of review copies and finished copies. Whenever I have a doctor's appointment, most of the people who work in the administrative area are women. And I walk in with a bag full of romance and they're all like, oh, you're here. What have you brought? What did you bring? Fantastic. What have you brought? Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. And if I've ever had a doctor fit me in because my kids are sick, I bring, the, I bring the whole office staff, like 20 or 30 romances, and then I come back and they're like, oh, your pack, what did you break? The person oh, who brings oh, the books awesome. is the best person. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Plus, I know they're going to happy homes, you know, like these books right. are going to get devoured. Oh, my God. That is so great. So, yeah. I, I had one related to doctors, a little bit sad story, but also beautiful, like, after mom died, her last book that came out, she dedicated to uh, her doctor at Sloan Kettering and the staff there. But as you know, like a baby, it takes nine months for a traditional book to come out. Yep. So I went back to Sloan Kettering and I, I didn't tell the doctor that it was dead. I just walked into Sloan Kettering, asked to see her and she came out and I handed her the book and she opened to the dedication and teared up and she was just like overwhelmed, Aww. like overwhelmed because she was very fond of mom. She was very, and very she fond was of such her. a sweet, sweet, hopeful woman. And, you know, I, uh, hope and assume she read it, but just that gesture was so meaningful Huge, to yeah. her. Romance especially is very meaningful to the readers who enjoy it because it's all about emotions and intimacy. It's a really powerful connection. So I totally bet she read it. Most people I know who work in health, if they're women, they do read a little romance. Because wow. it's hopeful. No. All right. Susie, shall we um, attack your brother? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. All Come right. On. Did you get the email I sent you? Uh, yes. But can you look email. at it or if you look at it, will he see it? Uh, no, I can look at it. I can turn the screen and look at it so What's he doesn't see it. Oh. We're doing something evil. Okay. So you know how on that show you're on, they read you some news stories and you have to guess the fake one? Sure. Okay. So we have three synopses of romance novels and you have to guess the one that's not your mom's. Oh, the one that's not my mom. Yes. 
Oh, you, you okay. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? ready? I can do this. <laughs> All right, Susie, do you want to read the first yep. one? I can read the first one. Go for Here it. we go. Once upon a time at the opera, there were two titled lords with pants feelings, whose pant proclivities prior to the start of this novel should have reduced all their appendages to nubbins shorter than a pencil at the end of the school year. But this is historical romance, and they were all coated with magical STD Teflon. Anyway, you can bet their bruised manhoods would not be hung up as monuments any longer because they both spotted a lovely, innocent, clueless lass. One decides to trick her into mistaking his intentions as honorable, while the other refuses to torque his words into deceit. Will one of them sit on a fence with the heroine? Will one of them presume that he's won long before he learns he's lost? Will either of them figure out that the heroine is smarter than both of them put together and multiplied by 10,000? Alas, the one thing we do know is that she'll choose one of them because Miss Layton didn't write polyamorous romances. Yay! Oh, you're so good. You should totally read the ebooks. Good. good. All right. Okay, I'll do the second and then we'll go back to you, Susie, okay? Okay. Okay. The titled lord and head of a family of many siblings and cousins and sequels has had a terrible afternoon. He never expected to find himself in a duel without his breeches properly mended. He never expected to endure a lecture from a governess about proper gardening, nor a trip to Gunter's with his sisters and nieces for dessert that made him embarrassingly ill within moments. He did not anticipate having to shop for an entire afternoon before heading to tea with his family. Most of all, he did not expect to find himself caught in a compromising position during tea time, nor married the following week to a woman who specializes in antiquities and can knock him unconscious with one kick to the knee. Fortunately for him, his lady has many secrets, and she's trying to protect him from some of them, while he is trying to keep even more nefarious secrets from his past where they belong. Wow. Okay. man. That was number two. All right. Yes. For your third synopsis. I am ready. Okay. (laughs) This is so weird. (laughs) There you go. Uh, There have been many romances featuring pirate captains who were secretly well-born wealthy lords who preferred the stench of sunburnt man to the perfume uh, collision that was Almach's. And really, who wouldn't? And there have been many more featuring surprise betrothals or secret engagements. But no hero would be excited to learn that the foundations of his fortunes were built on robbery, nor that he'd been promised from birth to marry a pirate's granddaughter. But after overcoming the surprise, you're a pirate news, he finds out his betrothed is far too much for a man who would prefer to be proper, not piratical. Is that how you pronounce it? Piratical. Whether, whether they it's also work... polyamorous, by the way. On, in the okay, thanks. Movie. Thanks, Shadow. <laughs> whether they work out their differences or not, alas, neither of them ever dreamed that they'd spend time making out while kneeling on jagged rocks while the tide came in. So, uh, Sari, do you want to sum up his three choices? Okay, dude. We have two titled lords with pants feelings at the opera and a heroine who's smarter than both of them. We have a hero who's had a terrible day, ends up in a compromising position and married to someone with more secrets than him. And we have a poor lord who finds out he's a pirate, he has to marry a pirate's granddaughter, and he's going to be very uncomfortable very soon. K. 
Can you guess which book is not your mom's? Yes, but I can't <laughs> guess correctly. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, sorry. What's the prize on this? Do we get your voice on his uh, <laughs> uh, on his answering machine? Wait, why would she get my voice as my prize? What the hell are you talking no, about? No, you get her <laughs> voice. You okay, yeah. need my okay. voice on your voicemail. Yeah, I'll take your, vo- your voice on my voicemail. <laughs> uh, this is tough. Let me, let me run by our choices. The pants thing is so artfully written by, by you, like the, the, the synopsis of the pants thing, that it's hard for me to see my way through to what plot we're actually talking about. Although if it is my mom's, it sounds like one of Edith Layton's signet uh, regencies. The, the, the second one with the, with the put upon Lord having a terrible day, now that sounds like my mom's sense of humor for sure, especially with the exceptionally clever heroine. Um, oh yeah, all her heroines were brilliant. They'll both have, have that, but she's like clearly got got, got it um, over him. I'd be I, I'd be hard pressed to say which book that is, but um, the the third one, the pirate ones, just sounds straight up familiar. So I, even though I'm not sure, I'm gonna not choose that one. I'm gonna go with the pants as the one that is not my mom's. The pants feelings. Yeah, the pants feelings. Alas, uh, that is the Duke's wager. Of course it is. <laughs> The emphasis on pants was just so extreme. And I don't remember the Duke's wager being primarily about tightening pants. <laughs> now, now, yes, okay, now I see. Yes, 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 Duke's wager. Again, I feel like you're more fixated on pants than my mom was. No. Okay. Was, I, I, yeah. No, okay, a lot one? of Regency spent a lot of time describing some tight breeches. And calves. Oh. There's a lot of calf descriptions. There's a lot of calves. That's true. They did love them, or they stuffed it with sawdust, right? Right. Didn't they stuff their breeches with sawdust didn't to fill out? I remember being told that by mom. It made mom. Mom told us that. Yeah, no, it's. Me- I've totally read that, and I'm like, I walk through like mulch in a garden, and I get it in my shoes, and it's like day is over. I got to go change. I don't. How do you walk around with sawdust in your? They sock? were tougher then. They were tougher. Ugh. All right. So what's the second one? The second one. Would you, um, of the remaining two, do you have a guess no, which one? No, 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 no. We, we don't do that at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me to avoid complete humiliation of our guests. I suggest that you do the same for me. <laughs> Fine. Okay. <laughs> I suppose it's okay. Number two, the titled Lord with a Bad Day. I made that up. Part of it. That was wa- good. Thank you. Part of it was. Um, Based on, I think, the CAD, I read a bunch of different descriptions of her books and took a tiny little bit from one or two of them. But yeah, I made that up. The whole bad day and getting sick and tearing his pants, I made all that up. Nice. I I was picturing on that one, um, Lord Somerville. You know, I could see that. And the third one... The third one is actually my favorite Edith Layton cover in the history of the universe. There is no cover that will ever be better than this cover. And I had it on my bedstand for years because it just made me so happy. <laughs> that is For the Love of a Pirate. Oh, that was For the Love of a Pirate. I didn't read that one. Not only is this super proper Lord um, discover that he's connected to piracy and robbery and his fortune is buried based on ill-gotten gains and he's been betrothed from birth to a pirate's granddaughter and of course said pirate goes and kidnaps him and he's about to get married to somebody who's very proper and surprise you're a pirate and you've got to marry this girl the cover is the <laughs> he doesn't have a shirt on he's wearing black oh trousers God, the cover she's so embarrassed by that like right. it's so good you can get joy from it but 
again, at that point, she was so horrified by it, but she had been burned by so many covers that she didn't love that it was sort of after Pino, like, yeah. she was like, I, I give up. Just sell sell the books, give me contracts. I gotta say, I would have gotten that one wrong as well, because if forced to guess, I would have gone for the, uh, I would have gone for that one being uh, fake because of the, the conclusion that involved making out on the rocks. Now that's my, the cover. Yeah, well, that's the cover. But, uh, you know, my mom was very, very, um, she would often say that, like, all these people making out in extraordinarily uncomfortable places made no <laughs> sense to her whatsoever. So she usually tried to have her love scenes take place where they wouldn't be just completely uncomfortable. There's no sheep poo to be found. One of her covers, like, they're getting undressed and it's in a snowstorm. Oh, like, she was so mad about that. <laughs> I think it's a bride for her convenience. We have the painted cover of that one, too. Yes, I think that one. can the, go home with, uh, with Adam with, if he wants. But it's fireplace. a beautiful cover until you see that, like, he's half-dressed, he's taken off her clothes, and for some reason there's a big snowstorm. We're in England, remember. We're probably in the south of England. Right. And they're making out, you know, they're about to have sex in a snowstorm. And there's just no... So tell me, in that in that book, the one that I haven't read, the pirate one, do they actually end up making out on the rocks, or are you just taking that from the cover? I am taking that from the cover, to my knowledge. There is oh. no... <laughs> there is, oh. there is Which... no... There's no rocks. But if you ever look at this cover... I mean, it is majestic. They, he's literally kneeling on jagged rocks. She's half on his lap. The yeah, wind is going happen. in like three different directions. And behind them is this massive ocean wave because they are about to get drowned. It's oh, yeah. incredible. Right. That would uh, never happen in one no, of those. it's but... true. You, you threw him off with that because, yeah, he was thinking, what did they make out on the rock? <laughs> When did they do that? I, I could just almost hear hear mom's voice on that on that subject. <laughs> <laughs> Jagged, pointy rocks and ocean waves. She'd be like, that's no place for sex. It's straight up. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. must have had the best dinner table conversations. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's just gone back and forth. But like the C-series books, there's no, you know, women got embarrassed. They didn't want to pick up a book that had man boobs and they didn't, they just didn't want to do it. And so you got all those covers that look like wallpaper for a yes, while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Landscapes and flowers and pearls. All of them have like a little keyhole so that you'd open it up yes, and see a more conventional of cover. Called mm-hmm. Step Back Adam in the biz. All right. The Step Back covers. So you got a little, little keyhole and then you could open up for the full. I feel like some of the C-series had those. No, they no. were embossed. Okay. They weren't step back. She wanted step back because that was classy. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you could make the front look completely benign, and then inside there's all kinds of stuff going on in there. Right. Yeah. Um, one picture for the book. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, that was a fun game. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed doing that. Yay! Um, anytime you want me to send in romance novel subscriptions to to stump your panelists on on the sh- you know when you're waiting around between recordings, let me know. You know be, they're always looking for um, games to play. That, that's the game that we play. Um, uh, what is it? It's the, sec- it's the second segment of the show. But right. we also do for the not my job stuff. If for shorter descriptions, we that's that's a multiple choice thing as well, which would be pretty fun to quiz somebody about. Yeah. And one thing Adam can do is if you're listening to NPR, if if you know his circle of friends, I like how mom might have picked waitresses to be her heroines. You can sometimes spot the fake story because the people in the story seem to have names that are very similar to the names of people he knows. 
You I, might be hearing like Sarah Wendell found. Uh, oh, totally. Sarah Wendell's gonna pop up. Pulled up to her house. And, In fact, I don't think I've ever done a fake story where the name wasn't somebody I knew. Oh, really? Yeah. My way of giving shout-outs to people. Aww. Aww. Well, I do romance quizzes all the time on the podcast, especially for guests that I know a lot, read a lot of romances. I did. I was on uh, NPR's uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour and quizzed everyone in the room with romance things that were very difficult. It's super fun. Like, for example, which of the following books is not real? A. Passion and Ponies, a contemporary romance about a young man who loves My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and a woman who may unwillingly inherit her family's cupcake and sex toy business. B, Darkly Danish Passion, a paranormal about a creature of the night who spends his days designing lamps and end chairs in Denmark and the light-obsessed interior decorator who must hunt him down. Or C, The Big, Not-So-Small, Curvy Girls Dating Agency, a contemporary romance about a big, not-so-small, curvy girls dating agency. One of those is fake. Uh, They're all plausible, but... um, Uh, I'm guessing this one is... uh, Before you say it out loud, is that one you... That would have been my second choice, but I think you're probably right. Well, you know, the brony brony scene is so big that I I imagine that maybe there is one now, but my choice might have been that one is fake. Okay, so my choice that one is fake is B... Uh, and Adam's choice, that one is fake, is A. Maybe I just want A to be true. Which <laughs> one is fake? B is fake. Nice, A is called Passion and Ponies by Tara Civic. Uh, yeah, it's just the name is too good, Passion and Ponies. It's just too good. How do you not read that, right? I can't, I can't think of a way. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start <laughs> reading it right now. I have just thought of a way not to read that. I mean, for a little while, there was a series that has since been taken down out of Kindle Unlimited, which gives me great sadness, about a vegetarian biker gang who gave up the drug trade for high-grade tofu market. That yeah, was. I can't imagine why that would disappear from the face of the earth. If there was ever, it was it was like a super sexy romance. It's called Captivated the Dragons, which says nothing in the title about like tofu and vegetarian bikers. But like, I would have read that series happily for the rest of my life, and it's not there anymore. Well, yeah, because of its audience of one. Exactly. <laughs> Although I bet if you spun that into like a story about an actual book, people who are who listen to NPR would be like, "I want to buy that like right now. Why can't I buy it? Where is it? Give me it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> high grade tofu, come on. <laughs> I like I like the concept of high grade because that's a you know not not an extraordinarily flavorful substance. No, to eat. no, <laughs> you need you need highly refined tofu. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. This has been so much fun. Oh, my oh, we had We had a blast. Thank you so much for having us on. And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Adam and Susie Felber for hanging out with me and talking about their mother, which clearly was no hardship. I will have links in the podcast entry to all of the books we mentioned and a link to all of her books available for sale, both digitally and in paper. You can find so many Edith Layton titles in the original Signet Regency packaging, which involves a lot of really interesting color choices in the cover art. You can find those in used bookstores all over the place, and her books are wonderful and worth discovering. The podcast this month is being sponsored by Elizabeth Hoyt, the New York Times bestselling author of the Maiden Lane series. 
Duke of Pleasure, the latest Maiden Lane adventure, features Alf, who is the new ghost of St. Giles and a female swashbuckling vigilante, with Hugh Fitzroy, the Duke of Kyle, who's a stern ex-soldier tasked with bringing down an evil group of aristocrats with Alf's help. This is a romance that has everything you need. Sword fighting, sexy times, pants feelings, danger, passion, intrigue, and a heroine who totally kicks ass. If you're new to the series, you can trust Smart Bitches reviewer Elise, who says you don't have to read the whole series in order, but they are so much fun you might as well. Your credit card might hate me, but you won't. You can start binge reading today. Our music every week is provided by Sassy Outwater, and you can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Deviations Project from their holiday album, Adeste Fiddles, which is easily my favorite collection of holiday music, right up there with the song about Mr. Hankey. You can find this album at Amazon or iTunes. This track is called Lieutenant Kiji, and it was originally composed by Prokofiev. If you would like to find out more about how you can support the podcast or learn more about how you can help be part of the group that's telling me all the things I should do next year, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. The patron supporters are helping me develop the ideas for next year's schedule, and I love hearing from them and also from you. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. You'll be helping me reach some important goals like commissioning transcripts and upgrading equipment, but you'll also be part of helping keeping the podcast. Helping keeping, help keep, helping to keep, helping... Man, my outro grammar is bad. Let's try that again. You will be helping to keep the podcast more awesomer. Told you my grammar was good. And if you'd like to email me personally and tell me all the things, that is cool too. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 1-201-371-3272. I have an episode full of awesome listener email coming up and I am really looking forward to it because y'all say interesting things. Most of all, thank you for being here with me each week to talk about romance. I love hearing from you, and I love hearing about the books that made you into romance readers and the things you want to hear me find out more about. I am really honored that you choose to spend time each week with me, and thank you for that. On behalf of Susie and Adam and myself and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.